Praise the Lord. Uh, we welcome our online audience. Amen. And like Pastor Ricky Jr. always says, says when he starts, what does he say? Let's clap it up for them. <laughs> Welcoming our listening audience. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're actually in part two of our series. As you see up here on the screen, we've got work to do. Wonderful little artwork we've got going on there. So we are in part two. I can't believe we're already like what, middle December, uh, November, practically, right? I mean, the, the months are going by super fast, super quick. Sometimes I tell the Lord to speed up time, and sometimes I pray, Lord, hold time, right? So it's going so, so fast. But I wanted to share with you the summary of the series that uh, we've got going on this month so that you can get an idea of what we've been uh, trying to build uh, throughout this series. And it says the following, God has given each of us specific assignments and work to do. How many of you know that? Amen. For Nehemiah, it was to rebuild a wall. For you, it could be a certain gift or a talent that he has given you that you can use for his glory and his honor. Sorry, I was singing a minute ago, and <clears throat> now my voice is leaving here. Okay, come on now. So during this series, um, we have started on uh, learning a bit about Nehemiah, how he responded to the calling that he had on his life, um, how to face challenges. We all face challenges, amen? But how to face challenges head on and how we can lean into the unique calling and opportunities that God has put in front of us. So these are the kinds of things that we're going to be talking about throughout this month. I want us to turn really quickly this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number three. Ecclesiastes is actually one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible. I have many, but I mean all books, all the books in the Bible, obviously. But there's just some always that we kind of like love to, you know, uh, glean from and pick out some of the verses. But I want to start this morning uh, building a foundation for today's message. And chapter number three in the book of Ecclesiastes, beginning in verse number one through 11, says the following. I'm reading from the ESV version. And it says, for everything, everybody say it with me, there is a season. For everything, there's a season, a time and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war for war and a time for peace. Look at verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? It's a question. Verse 10 says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
Admittedly, most of us don't like change. How many, how many can tell me this morning that they love change? Nobody has risen their hand? Depends on the change. Very true. But for the most part, we don't like change. We are individuals who like to be comfortable. Amen? But the Bible is clear here that there is a season for everything. Verses 9 through 11 puts the God-given task so eloquently. The question here, again, in verse 9 is, what gain has the worker from his toil? And I believe in verse 10 and 11, it answers that question. Verse 10 says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. What a beautiful verse and verses. Amen. Our God has given each of us things to do and seasons to do it in. The end result is beauty when we count on him to do the task that he's assigned us to do. That's what this, these verses say. So today, what I want to do is I'd like to pick up on what Pastor Ricky left on last week. And wasn't that a good message? I know that I saw several of you taking notes. If you haven't had the opportunity to see that message, I encourage you to go back to our um, website or go to our YouTube channel and you could catch that message there. But it was a really good message. And the points that he spoke about in that message with regards to people of vision are applicable to our lesson here today. So if you like to take notes, we're going to be doing that this morning. Amen? Now, go with me to the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to begin here in chapter number 2, and we're going to go from 2, uh, from verses 1 to verse 8. Let me know when you're there. Give a shout out of amen. The book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> it's right after Ezra. It's before the Psalms. It's before Esther and Job, if you want a little bit of direction. Thank you for that. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 says the following. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not seen, now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? seeing you are not sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I want you to underline that phrase. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and verse 5 says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, 
the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Love, love, love those verses. Amen. So I've entitled today's message, if you want to take this down, The God-Given Task, an Example of Godly Leadership. The God-Given Task, an Example of Godly Leadership. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. I thank you that we can glean so much from your word, Heavenly Father. And Lord, Lord, may it be no different this morning. As we look into your word today, may it speak to us ever so loudly, Father. I know there's different ways of seeing your word in different avenues, Father. And sometimes we can make it so applicable to us. And so this morning is no different. I thank you, Father, that you speak to us every time we open your word. This is how... We know that you want to lead us, that you want to guide us. So I thank you for your word. May our ears be open, our hearts be open, and our minds be open to what you have for us this morning. Give us your portion, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen. Now, to give you a little bit of history, you know, I like doing that. The Perry Stone Hebraic Study Bible says it best. It reads as follows, and I quote, The name Nehemiah means Jehovah has comforted. So that's what Nehemiah's name means. Jehovah has comforted. This man of God was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the Persian king who ruled from Babylon. When Nehemiah inquired about the Jews' success in rebuilding the city, he learned that they were being reproached or hindered and that the walls and the gates had not been uh, repaired. Nehemiah comes under a spiritual burden for his people in the holy city, Jerusalem, and in the 20th year of the king's rule, approximately 22 years after the Jews began returning to Jerusalem from Babylon, so that kind of gives you an idea as to when this time frame was, he requests release from his cup-bearing responsibilities so he could return to Jerusalem. Nehemiah returned around 445 B.C. The angel of the Lord had previously informed Daniel that the streets and walls of Jerusalem would be rebuilt during troublesome times. And you can just jot down Daniel 9.25 for future reference. And I end that quote. But to add to this description, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were actually contemporary in nature. In other words, they were one in the earliest Hebrew manuscripts. It wasn't the book of Ezra and it wasn't Nehemiah. They were actually one. The preview of my uh, Bible, I don't know if yours has the same thing, but before you actually go into different books of the Bible, there's like a little preview that gives you... Uh, the author, the date of writing, an introduction, a little bit of a background, and whatnot. But in mine, it describes that Origen is the first writer known to distinguish between two books, which he called 1st Ezra and 2nd Ezra. And although they were regarded as one book, the caption uh, to Nehemiah 1.1 indicates that there were two, they were two separate 
compositions. And that's, then that's how we get Ezra and that's how we get the book of Nehemiah. Make sense? Okay. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a history for the purpose of understanding the book a little bit better. Now going back to the verses in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, four months, four months actually pass from the time that Nehemiah first heard the news of the conditions in Jerusalem. Four months. So if you recall in chapter number one, I know that pastor talked about chapter one last week. Right after receiving the dreadful news, Nehemiah took to prayer. He begins to pray. And it says that he wept. And it says that he mourned. And that he fasted. And that he prayed. So see, Nehemiah was a man of faith. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah was a man that knew that when something as difficult as what was coming to pass and the news that he had received of the condition of the walls in Jerusalem, he knew to, to, to take to prayer. He knew to fast, to fast. He knew to mourn. And he knew to repent. And that's missing a lot in the church today. A lot of people want to rush into prayer, but they don't repent. They don't repent of not having enough faith. They don't repent of put, not putting God in his rightful place and, and, and not really adhering to the word of God. We need to be repented, repentive on a daily basis. How many of us know that we all come short of the glory of God? Amen? We do. We're not perfect individuals, and we need him, and we need to ask for repentance on a daily basis, especially when it comes to something that you want to begin to intercede for, something that's occurring in your life, maybe in a friend's life, in a family's life. We need to pray. We need to fast. And we need to repent. Here are points for us to consider if you want to begin to write some of this down. Point number one, a godly leader knows to wait on God's timing. We were just talking about God's timing, and as pastor was Pre, uh, pre, preview to today's message, you were talking a little bit about timing, and I was like, oh, 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 and you, I don't know what else you said, and I thought, mm, that comes in line with today's message. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. So point number one, a godly leader knows to wait on God's timing. Nehemiah, Nehemiah's answer actually comes four months when he receives the answer, when he receives the news, when he receives the assignment to pour the wine to the king. Four months after he receives the news, begins to pray, begins to go into mourning, begins to fast, four months later, he's assigned to pour the wine to King Artaxerxes. He didn't go running to the king upon the news. No. He waited for the opportune time. And that to me speaks loudly of his leadership, of his knowing what to do. You see, because it would have been really easy to receive that devastating news about the conditions of the walls in Jerusalem. And his heart was mourning. His heart was mourning. It's, it's as if some, your, your house would have been burnt down. Aren't you going to like... Mourn for that house? Aren't you going to... Uh, all of my possessions were there. Well, remember, this was his home. 
This was, this was his people's home. And the walls of Jerusalem came tumbling down. When the captivity came of Babylon, Babylon, they devastated the place. And so he mourned. But see, he waited on the timing of God. It would have been very easy for him to have ran directly to the king and asked the king the things that he asked the king, rather than waiting for the right opportunity. Amen? Sometimes we're too eager to speed things up for God. Sometimes we want to play God. Sometimes we want to be God. Sometimes we want to speed things up. Come on, Lord. I'm waiting. I've been waiting. When is my answer coming? Isn't that the truth? We think we know better. We want to move things along for the Lord. But many times, the things of God are a process. They don't just happen overnight. Sometimes they do. Most often than not, they don't. There's a time and a season for everything. We need to be patient. A good leader knows when to wait on God and look for those timely opportunities. When the window opens and you know that it's from him, that's when you take that opportunity. Because that's when things begin to work together for good. And in the end, like Ecclesiastes says, it's a beautiful outcome. It's a beautiful thing. Why? Because you waited on his timing, not on your own timing. Can I get an amen? amen. Now look what happens. After four months, the king notices the countenance of his cupbearer. And this was an unusual circumstance. And I'll tell you why. The king's cupbearers weren't supposed to show emotion of sadness or worry. You understand? The servants of the king were to display a cheerful countenance at all times, no matter what sufferings they may be going through on a personal basis. Can you imagine having a worrisome face and you're about to give the king his wine to drink? He's going to wonder, I wonder if that's poisoned. So the cupbearers had to have a cheerful countenance at all times. However, in this case, in the case of Nehemiah, he was so burdened with the task he needed to do and the concern for the king's response that his expression was noticed by the king. And because of the trust that he had, the king had trust in Nehemiah, the king was more concerned about him than the drink of wine that he was about to drink. Did you catch that at all? He was concerned and he asked Nehemiah, why so downcast? Why so sad? You're not sick. But you see, Nehemiah knew the history, you see, because if you go to, we're not going to go there, but if you go to Ezra 4, 17 through 23, King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes had put an end to rebuilding the wall. So Nehemiah wasn't really sure what the king's reaction was going to be when he requested what he requested. He didn't know what the response was going to be. That's why it says he was very much afraid. In those verses, all he knew is that he had prayed and he waited for the right time to approach the king. When he saw, look at this, when he saw the window of opportunity, which is when the king questioned him, that was the window. He waited, 
He waited, weeks went by, weeks went by, months went by, and he waited for the right opportunity. The moment the king asks, what's wrong? What's wrong with you, Nehemiah? He knew. He knew that it was God's right moment, and that's when he takes advantage of it. But let's look at something very significant that Nehemiah does while he's engaged in conversation with the king. I love this. Point number two. A godly leader, a godly leader knows to pray before speaking. A godly leader knows to pray before speaking. The second part of that point is God's favor will always be revealed. Can I get an amen? God's favor will always be revealed. A godly leader, leader knows to pray before speaking. God's favor will always be revealed. Let's look at chapter number two, verses four and five. Tell me you caught this when I asked you to underline it. It says, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And look at this sentence. So I prayed to the God of heaven. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And then it says in verse five, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. No sooner does the king ask him what he's requesting, Nehemiah silently prays mid-conversation. Did you catch that? You know, sometimes when we read we don't catch these things. And that's a little nugget right then and there. If you've caught it before, hey, yay to you. But if you didn't catch it, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a nugget right there? He silently prays mid-conversation. Have you ever done that? Have you ever uh, been engaged in conversation with someone and while you're having this conversation, whether it be something trivial, have you ever in the back of your mind, just silently pray. I do this all the time. I do this whether it's a conversation I'm having with, you know, anybody, any of you, for example, or maybe, you know, someone comes up to us and, and, and is sharing their heart or sharing their concern or their life, or maybe it's someone new, whatever that may be. I always silently pray. And you know that I always ask the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me your counsel to be able to speak what I need to speak to this person, what they need to hear, that it comes from you and not from me. And so I'm sitting there talking to the person, Carlos, and I'm nodding my head. And I'm listening, but at the same time, I'm praying silently. Silently, I'm praying for God's wisdom, for God's direction. You see, because I don't want to say something that is in the flesh, I want to say something that's coming straight from the throne room. And sometimes I am praying for favor, whether it be with that person. I'm going to share something in just a minute. But I pray that. I silently pray. And this is what Nehemiah does. He silently prays mid-conversation with the king. This is what he does. We've heard the phrase, think before you speak. Yes? Well, I say pray before you speak. Why? Because God hears our every prayer, even the quick ones. 
while we're in mid-conversation with other people. It doesn't necessarily mean that now you got to, okay, hold on a second. Let me go to prayer real quick. And Lord, and storm the gates. No, no. You can pray mid-conversation. And he hears you. And he answers. Amen? And I would add that with our modern technology nowadays, I would also say pray before replying in a text. Does that step any toes? Can someone say amen or ouch, something? Pray before replying in a text. I saw a funny meme this past week that shows a man. Um, he's, actually, he's actually like doing this. And the meme, you know, like ugh, squinting, like ugh, like scrimmaging. And the meme actually says, let me see if I get this right. The meme actually says, when the Holy Ghost makes you delete the whole text and just reply, Okay. Come on. We're so, we're so quick. Oh, yeah? But a lot of times the Holy Spirit says, delete that. And then we got to go. That's deleting, by the way. Delete, 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 delete. Or select all, delete. Okay. <laughs> Pray before you speak. Pray before you reply in a text. Amen? Always give a good testimony of yourself. We're too quick to respond, aren't we? What we want to respond. But watch God's favor when we practice praying in patience and reliance on the Holy Spirit. We know that the king allows him to leave to accomplish the rebuilding task after Nehemiah requests the necessary letters and materials because he's, he was going to need materials. He was going to need lumber. He was going to need materials to not just rebuild that wall, but a house for himself. He asked these things, and the king was like, sure, here you go. That's the favor of the Lord. Amen. That's the favor of the Lord. I remember when we were coming back from Greece, we were at the airport, and uh, imagine, we had to check in 42 people. 42 people came with us on the trip. And uh, I remembered our flight going. Um, it was one of those situations where, I mean, it's a long trip. It's a lot of hours. And, and uh, we were going on the first leg to, from Turkey to um, Athens, like that, and then Athens back over here. Okay, so I'm, we're standing there in line, getting ready to check in, and I'm looking at all of the uh, attendants, the flight att the, not the flight attendants, the ones that work behind the register. I'm watching them, the agents. I'm watching them. I'm watching them. And I just began to pray, God, appoint us to the right person and give us favor that we could get good seats because these are not pre-assigned seats. We're in such a big group that they have to assign seats as you check in. And I just began to pray, God, grant us favor that we get good seats. And we approached this one gentleman because you could see the people that are being attended to. And I'm like, I don't know about that one. She's got a face like she's not happy today. Lord, I don't know about that one, but you know. If it's her, then that's fine. You appointed us to her. This is me. I'm serious. I'm standing here in line, and this is me. I'm, ha I'm carrying this conversation with the Lord as we're getting ready to check in. And somebody might touch me in the shoulder and start talking to me, and I'll be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, take it to prayer again. 
Father, okay, what about that guy over there? He seems like a nice guy. Lord, grant us favor. We go to this one gentleman, and I said to Pastor, ask him for, ask him for the, the exit row. Ask him for the exit row. Those have legs, leg rooms. I see somebody over there doing the same thing, yes? Ask him for the, uh, the exit row. So Pastor obeys my command, and he says, would you happen to have an exit row? And he's like, let me check. Exit row it is. I'm like, God, you're so good to me. You're so good to me. Yeah, so God grants us favor. Amen? So pray, pray and ask the Lord for that. You know, just go to prayer no matter where you are. I mean, he's hearing our every prayer. And you know what? Some people might say, you know, that's trivial stuff. God has more important things to do. Well, I... I guess you don't know my God. I guess you don't know my daddy. So you see, my daddy cares for everything. My daddy cares for the smallest things that are going on in my life. Yes, he does. Don't I care for the smallest things in my children and grandchildren's lives? Don't I care if my grandchildren fall and hurt themselves? Don't I care to give them a little piece of candy just because they asked me for it? Well, our Heavenly Father so, does so much more. Point number three. Are you enjoying this so far? All right. Point number three. Godly leaders know who to surround themselves with. Godly leaders know who to surround themselves with. Go to chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Look at verse 12. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I and a few men with me. Watch this. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And it says, there was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. Notice that Nehemiah only takes a few men. A few men. Meaning only selected men that he had confided in. Nehemiah was a smart man. And he wasn't about to invite just anyone to go on this important mission with him. They had to be trustworthy. They had to be men of honor, men of integrity. You see, it's so important. Listen to me, church. It is so important for us to surround ourselves with a handful of people that we can confide in and trust in, especially when it comes to something that the Lord has entrusted us with or revealed to us. It is vital for our lives vital. You can't do that with just about anybody. Amen? If you notice, he didn't say a word to anyone until he had the opportunity to inspect the damages of the walls. He kept the assignment of God to himself. I want to believe that he didn't want to display God's assignment beforehand because he didn't know what he was facing. 
So he kept that within himself. And again, he waited for the timing of God to be able to share it with the people. Always, always, always be cautious to reveal the things God has shown you. Amen? Not everyone will understand. Not everyone will believe together with you. Not everyone. Not everyone might be on the same page. Amen? Choose your friends wisely. And always, always ask the Lord when or if he wants you to share what's in your heart. When God puts something in your heart, wait until he gives you the green light to share it with others. Don't go rushing and start telling the world. Be sure to seek godly wisdom from those you trust the most. Listen, if you say something prematurely, it may hinder the assignment. I'm going to say that again. If you say something prematurely, it may hinder the assignment. There's an appointed time for everything. He will show you when or if to share it and with whom. You can share something prematurely and you can have some naysayers by your side. You can have some people that are in unbelief in whatever. It, it might not be that they're bad people or anything, but they might not be in a uh, capacity at that moment in time in their lives due to maybe something that they're going through. And maybe their faith is not there with you. And you need people of faith to come alongside of you to link up with your faith so that that vision God has given you will be accomplished. But if you say it, prematurely, if you share it prematurely, it could very well hinder that process or abort it. So be careful. Be careful. And Nehemiah is a great example of that. Point number four. A godly leader will always give God the credit. Look at chapter number two, verses 17 through 18. It says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burdened. This is when Nehemiah is actually giving the vision. He's actually saying what the Lord has told him to do. And he says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Verse 18 says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. In other versions, it has it as my God had been favorable to me. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. This is the answer. This is the reply of the people when he gives them the vision of what's happening. The reply of the people was, let us build, let us rise up and let us build. So they strengthened, strengthened their hands for the good work. After Nehemiah discloses the plans to the people, they willingly accept the task at hand, knowing it was going to be extreme hard labor. It wasn't going to be fun and roses. No, it was going to be hard, hands-on labor. That's what it was going to be. Yet they accepted the task at hand. So when he invites the cooperation of the people, Nehemiah must have felt that their unanimous response was yet another confirmation that he was on the right track, that this was God's assignment to him. 
Notice that Nehemiah was sure to give God the credit for the favor that was upon him. That was on verse 18 when he says, and I told them, I told them of the hand of my God that has been on me for good. So Nehemiah always turned it around and praised God, turned it around and gave God the credit, turned it around and said, this ain't me, guys. This has nothing to do with me. It's just a burden I have, but God has given me this task and I give him the glory for it because look, when I told the king what needed to be done, the king gave me everything I needed. That was God. That wasn't me. A godly leader exemplifies humility. And this is exactly what happened here with Nehemiah. Amen? Point number five, lastly. Godly leaders know they have purpose. Godly leaders know they have purpose. You see, Nehemiah was burdened by this debilitating news of the fallen walls in Jerusalem. Yet he knew he was the man to get the rebuilding started. He knew. He knew it. He knew his purpose. And he was determined, whatever came his way, he was determined to accomplish it. And you might be sitting here today, you might be hearing this message online, and you might be saying, you know what, Pastor Yvette, I'm not much of a leader. But you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm here to tell you you're wrong. How do you like that? You're wrong. Everyone is a leader in the capacity that you're in. In the place that you're in, in wherever God has put you in life, even our teenagers, you, you are a leader. You lead someone. Regardless of the fact whether you know it or not, you lead someone. You lead your children, your home, your friends, your coworkers. You have influence over others. In some way, shape, or form, in some capacity, you have influence over others. You may not realize it, but you do. I will point out also that Nehemiah wasn't a high priest. He wasn't a prophet of old. He wasn't an Isaiah, for example. He was a layman who held a secular position in the king's court during the exile. This is who Nehemiah was. But you see, God strategically placed him in this position for a specific plan and purpose to later be able to lead the Jewish people to build, fulfill the work the Lord had called them to do. Isn't that the beauty of God? How he plucks us from one place to another, and that is always for purpose. So under his leadership, they were able to withstand opposition. Boy, did they get opposition. If you continue to read the rest of Nehemiah, they got opposition, critics, harassments, all the while maintaining a godly example. His humility to lead a high-ranking position in the king's court, in the palace, to work hard labor, and giving God the credit, to me, it speaks volumes of his character and his integrity. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. I will end by saying this. 
of this last point as you stand with me this morning. If God has placed you in this church, it's for purpose. Can I get an amen? amen. If God has placed you in this church, it is for purpose. This is your church. This isn't my church. This is our church. This is your family. This is your church. This is your family. There is work to be done. We've got work to do. And as we saw in Ecclesiastes at the beginning of the message, there's a time and there's a season for everything. Amen? This is the time and season to get to work and rebuild what God has set before us. Much the same way as Nehemiah's time. This is a new season. Some of you are going through new seasons in your life. I was talking to someone last Sunday, and they were explaining the same thing that is happening with them when we were talking about the name change that we're going to be undergoing very soon of our church. And this couple was telling us the same thing, that God has shown them that it is a new season in their lives. And that happens a lot in our lives. Amen? A new season. And I believe that here as a whole, as a church, here in our church, this is a new season. Pastor and I are back. Amen? All the applause goes to the Lord, praise God, because as that song that we sang earlier, that available song, we gave God our yes to come back. Was it an easy decision? Uh, no. But we gave him our yes nonetheless. We told him we're available. We'll do so. It doesn't matter how hard it'll be, but we'll do so. We're back. And guess what? We have high expectations and a big vision to carry. And you know very well that we cannot do it alone. Amen? The question is, will you help lead by godly example? All of these points that we were giving about a godly leadership that Nehemiah displayed, it's us as well. We have to take that upon ourselves as well because we lead in one way, shape, or form. We all have a God-given gift or talent that can be used to further the gospel, to further the kingdom, to plow, to work, to see this mission grow, to reap the harvest of our labor. Amen. Amen. You know, I was uh, with Pastor this past Friday evening at... Um, Espíritu Santo y Fuego, ESYF Church, uh, pastors Eddie and Marcia Castillo, they invited us for dinner that they were uh, having for their church um, volunteers to celebrate their 20th year anniversary, their church anniversary. And as I, we sat there and we were looking around, I was thinking, wow, and uh, I, we told them as well, we're right behind you guys because we celebrate 20 years come March. Our church, our 20-year church anniversary is this March, at the beginning of March, We, we don't know yet what we're going to do, but we're going to do something cool. Amen? 20 years is a feat, you guys. And guess what? To God be the glory for that. It has nothing to do with me or pastor at all. We were just one of those people like Isaiah that said, here I am, Lord. Use me. We had no idea that 20 years later we would be here with you all. To God be the glory for that. Amen? All the glory and all the honor goes to him. And to be honest, 
we thank you guys for coming alongside of us. We really do, through ups and downs, through valleys, through deserts, to high mountains, amen, to highs and to lows. And for that, we thank you. We really do. But we have work to do, more souls to reach. We must occupy until he comes. Pastor raised his hand, or is he saying hallelujah? That's right. Yes. So pastor is saying for those that are listening online that when we were at ESYF the other day, they recognized uh, a certain people that have been with them since the very beginning, since the onset, since the first day. And it was uh, uh, several people. And they were mentioning how each and every one of those individuals have had challenging times, challenging times, even one of them being in jail. Another one, uh, one of the ladies that was sitting at our table, she lost a, uh, a daughter. She lost a daughter um, and, and devastating, just devastating, but they stuck there alongside of them. And, and that was beautiful to see, amen? Beautiful to see, to God be the glory. But we need to, we need to see more souls reached for God's kingdom, amen? We need to occupy until he comes and we need to plow. To repeat the verses we read in the beginning of Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, and I love verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. We know that God is doing a beautiful thing here. Oh, you may not feel it. Oh, you may not see it right now with your physical eyes, but he is doing a beautiful thing. He's done it. He's done it. It just needs to come to fruition in this side of heaven. Amen? Are you with me this morning? Will you help us be a part of this masterpiece? Amen? Let's pray this morning. Oh, Daddy, Abba Father, you're so good to us. You're so good to us, Lord. I love how you speak to us through your word. And through the servant of yours, Nehemiah, so many, so many years and years and years ago that you used in such a powerful way, yet that story can speak to us today. And we can gain so much understanding from a godly leadership. And Lord, I know as you told me when you had me write this message. We all are leaders in some way, in some capacity. We lead or we influence other people. Be that a friend. Maybe you have a friend that looks to you for answers or that friend of yours relies on. Maybe it's your home. Maybe your children, your grandchildren, whoever that might be, your place of work. Maybe you're a business owner, a manager, whatever it is. You lead in some way, shape, and form. So we ask you, Father, to help us be that godly leader that you called us to be so that we can put our hands to the plow and do the work that you've called us to do, Father. Lord, be that influencing our family and friends, Lord, in a way where we testify of your goodness 
And those that may not know you as Lord and Savior, we can get a plate to a place and a time where we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ that they too may know the truth, as the truth will set them free. We thank you so much for your word, Father. And now I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone that is listening to the sound of my voice this morning that does not know you as, your, as personal Lord and Savior, I ask you, Lord, to open their hearts right this moment. Open their minds. Open their understanding, their ears, Father, to know and to realize that they need a Savior. So I'm going to ask you with your head bowed, and your eyes closed this morning, if there is anyone in this place, anyone listening online, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and today you would tell me, you know what, Pastor Yvette, I don't know Jesus. I don't know where I'll go if my time here on earth ends. I don't know, but I want to know. I want to be sure. And if that's you this morning, if you want to be sure that you will make it to heaven, the day that you close your eyes permanently here on this earth, if you want to know for sure, will you just lift up your hand with me for just a moment and put it right back down? Maybe you're listening online and you would say, right there where you're at, it, that's me. I want to know for sure. Anyone here in this house, I'd love to pray for you. Will you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Father in heaven, today I open up my heart and I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Today I'm new. I'm a new creation in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me and make me new. I ask the Holy Spirit to guide me, open up the heart of my understanding, open my mind to know the Word of God and to understand it. And I promise to live always and eternally with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Father, you heard these words. You heard these prayers. I pray for the blessing of the Lord to be upon their hearts, their lives, their minds, Lord, their families, and everywhere that they step foot in, Father God. Help them to lead godly in a godly way, the way that you show them, Father God. I pray these things in the mighty and precious name of your son, Jesus. And the church said, amen, amen and amen. Give God praise in the house this morning. Hallelujah.